So this morning, we're continuing on in our study. We've been taking the topics from the London Baptist Confession, and we've gone through justification and sanctification, but now we are in, um, we are in the topic of salvation by faith, what is saving faith. So to start off this morning, I want to draw our attention to two primary passages of the Bible. We're going to essentially camp out in these two places and just look at what does the Bible say about saving faith. Um, And we're going to look and see two aspects, primarily saving faith as it is given and saving faith as it is strengthened. That is, we we want to try to keep these things um, understood in their own proper right. God gives true saving faith in its essence but that's, that faith is not always or is not given in its first instance in as much fullness as there will be in the Christian life. God does strengthen people in their faith. Um, so to see this, let's turn first to the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 34. Acts 2, verse 34. And there's a, there's a paradigm given um, here, and I said verse 34, but really we're, we're starting, um, starting in verse, sorry, in verse 41 would be really where the, where the topic starts for today, um, Acts 2.41. But in, in Acts chapter 2, we see the primary um, example or paradigm of those who did not believe in Christ coming to faith and what it looks like for them to then be joined to the church and for them to continue in faithfulness with the body of Christ and be built up and nourished. And so this being perhaps the most, um, I don't know if I would say most particular, but at least the most, um, the most encompassing description that we have in Acts in chapter 2, we will see, so those who received his word, this is Peter after he had preached the word to them, Those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And the first thing I want to ask you is, as we read this passage, what sort of things do you see, to whom are these things um, said, or, or what who um, is being described here in these things? Who is it that um, we're continuing in the apostles' teaching, continuing together with these um, gifts of the Holy Spirit in terms of their faithfulness and generosity towards one another? Well, first off, we see it as those who had received the word that the apostle had preached. Peter preached the word, and those who received it were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Secondly, we would see, if we looked, who, who, what else is used to describe these people? Well, they received, but also 
They believed. It says all who had believed were together and had all things in common. And then on the, at the end, it's, it describes these people as those who were being saved. And so the first thing we want to talk about when it comes to saving faith is to say saving faith is initiated or is ordinarily begun by the word of God. It comes to people, and then what is that? What is the response of saving faith? Well, the word of God is then received, and this is considered a believing in God's word, and then they are described as those who are being saved. So hold that thought. I just want to keep that perspective in mind. I want to turn also then to 1 Thessalonians and consider Paul's description of the salvation or the saving faith of the Thessalonian church. This is one of my favorite places to go when considering what does it mean to actually come to Christ in salvation, because I think Paul lays out very clearly what the effect of the word is to a people when they come and when they believe. So we're going to start in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul is beginning his letter to this church, and he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. So I want to observe similarly in this passage, what do we see about saving faith? Well, first, how did it it reveal itself? What, What came first to these people in Thessalonica? We would say, Paul with the gospel. If you look at verse 5, because our gospel came to you. But then how did it come? How did the word come? How did the gospel come? Well, it lists three things. That it came to you in word, not only in word, but also in what? In power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, what does it mean that the word came in power? Well, I I think of Romans when it says, For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? It is the power of God unto salvation. So the power that is being talked about here, when they received the word, not only as a word, that is not merely a message that entered the ears, but as a message which entered, as it were, to the heart. The power of the message came, and it was salvific to them. They they believed, right? And yet, what do we see in addition to this? In power and in the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit bring? This full conviction, that is, this full persuasion, a complete persuasion, if you will, of what the Word said. So saving faith is begun ordinarily by the Word of God. And it is that which, being persuaded of the truth of God's Word, 
responds in faith and belief. And what are, what are the accompanying responses of this word to these people? Well, if you would look on, we would see that you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So in spite of much affliction, these people, because of the power with which the word came, because of the Holy Spirit at work in them, and because of the full conviction which they had, though they received it in much affliction, this word came and brought joy to them. That is, if we remember the scenario of Paul bringing the good news to Thessalonica, remember he was in the temple persuading people, and many came and followed, and yet it was the Jews who started to persecute them almost immediately, so much so that after three days, they essentially drove Paul out of the city. And so it is often thought that this book of Thessalonians is written probably about a year later, recounting to them the faith that they had evidenced in God as Paul seeks to encourage them. And so we see that this, this response of joy and of also imitation, that is, if you notice, they become imitators of Paul and of the Lord, that is, even as I follow Christ, you follow me, is what Paul would say, and then also they became examples. So that is, when we, when we come to faith, we are not only imitating those who have taught us, but we are also, by, almost by definition, our faith becomes an example to those who would follow us. This is the, the pattern that we see. So as we, look at, as we look at faith, we already said it comes by the word, it comes by power and through the Holy Spirit. We must reckon with the idea that faith, rather than being um, primarily about a decision that we decide to make, it is rather a gift of God given. And we, think, we can think of the common verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace ye have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, what? It is a gift of God. That is, is, God was pleased to give the grace of faith as a gift to those who would believe. And so, who does God give this gift to? Well, we see it is to those who God chooses to give it. That is why in 1 Thessalonians it starts out actually in verse 4 like this. We, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. That is, all of this is evidence of what Paul is seeing as the choosing of God of these Thessalonians, of this church. That is, we know God has chosen you. Why? Because when the gospel came to you, it didn't just come as words. It came in power. It came with the Holy Spirit. It came in full conviction. It came with joy. What else did it come with? Looking at the end of the chapter, it came with these three things. It says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living God. That's one. To wait for his son from heaven. That's two. Or from whom he, ra- whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And three, as it relates to wrath. So we're going to move here from what it is to how it is grown. That is, first, faith is as a gift given by God, received by us in Christ. But that faith, though it is given at first in some measure, it is also grown and strengthened in God. That faith progresses, if you will. Um, so to make that transition, though, I want to, I want to take us to a couple places. Um, so first, I want you to notice, I believe it was Acts, let me see, I should have written this down. 
We've gone to some of these places before. I just, I just want you to see how faith comes, and yet also it is talked about as something which is growing or continuing on or being strengthened. Um, let's look for a moment, if we would, at Acts 20. We were here a couple weeks ago, Acts 20. In verse 32, as Paul is leaving this charge, he says, And now I I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to what? To build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And he goes on to talk about his example. Um, So the word of God being able to build you up is primarily what we're pulling from that verse, not to exposit the whole section there. Um, We might look also at places like 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Again, we're looking at the way in which we are not, faith not only starts, but also grows. It says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this one is particularly helpful, I think, because we see the idea of growing up into salvation. What does he mean there? Does that mean grow so much to the point where you can finally then have been saved? That's not what he means. He means, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, if salvation truly has come to you, then long to grow into that which God has already called you, or long to grow just like an infant grows through the milk of, his, of its mother, so also grow through the spiritual milk into salvation. There's a a continuing on, what starts in a small seed grows into a mature tree. So, as we as we go from here, we're we're thinking, okay, what is what is this faith then? If faith is given by God, if it starts with the Word of God, if it um, if it is that which brings salvation through the Word, and it is that which grows. Maybe it would be appropriate to ask, how does it grow? By what means does God give for us to grow in our faith? Well, this is why we started with Acts as the paradigm there in chapter 2. If you remember, they received the word, and what did they go on doing? You guys can respond at this point. What, what characterized the faith that came to them in Acts chapter 2? What was their response? Right, for sure. So they, they received what was taught, and then they held to it. They continued in that teaching. And then what did that, what did that lead to? Absolutely. So there was, there was a togetherness, right? They, they came together, not as they were not free, radical individuals, but they were together and then sharing those things which they had. And what's the particular phrase that's used to describe that, that togetherness? It appears twice in that passage. Um, 
And it, you can be taken in different senses, but they continued together doing what? Fellowshipping and breaking bread. Fellowshipping and breaking bread, yeah. And it seems like, it kind of depends how you, how you read that, in one sense, from house to house could be breaking to bread merely as a meal, that is sharing the good things which God has. But particularly in the first instance, when it says breaking bread, that seems to be a shorthand way of talking about gathering together for the Lord's Supper. That is, in the same way that Christ took bread and broke it on the day when he was betrayed. And so we see, right from the beginning, there's a gathering together, a mutual fellowshipping together, a continuing the teaching of the apostles, and the breaking of bread. And as we read, when they received the word, they were what? They were baptized. And so, in a shorthand way, you could say, well, one of the responses to the gospel, one of the ways, or I would say the primary way in which God gives us to grow in our faith after having received faith, is the one another, the church, the assembly of God, doing what God has commanded it to do. And two um, pinnacles of that, or two, um, if you will, linchpins of that, are the ordinances which God gives to its church in order to remember Christ and what it is they are joined to. And so we see in this the pattern of what? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. So um, in this, I hope by by a quick summary, we can at least be able to read the first paragraph that we came to in, in the confession in at least a way that we would say, okay, I understand that this comes from Scripture. That's the goal, at least, right? So they, the saving faith is described like this. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe, that is, remember we talked about, we saw evidence that God had chose you, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is what? The work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, not just words, but the Spirit of power, and is ordinarily wrought by what? By the ministry of the word. By which also, and by the, by which also, and by the administration of what? Baptism in the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed of God, it is increasing and strengthened. This is just, so just a general summary of what we saw. What is the pattern in the New Testament? Saving faith comes by the word. It's evidence of God's choosing. It's of God's gifting. And it continues and grows through the church. Then we might ask, well, if it comes by the word, what do we then believe? And so we're only going to get partway through what would be the next paragraph in this. We're going to split it up because the, um, the last part is of such importance when it talks about um, the primary principle or act of salvation being accepting, receiving, and resting upon God for justification, sanctification, eternal life. I want to spend more time talking about faith in terms of this receiving and resting, and I want to make sure we can wrestle with it from the Bible itself, and not just as summarized here in, the, in that confession. Um, so first, I just want to talk about the word um, that comes. What does it mean to believe the word of God? How would we recount that or teach that? If you had someone, let's put it this way, if you had someone who you were leading to faith, and you were teaching them the Bible, how would you want them to understand this book? What would you want to say to them? Would you? Yes, Nancy. Ah. Uh, yes, yes. Other 
Right. I think the key word there he said was, was that authority, right? That is, when we come to the Bible, saving faith comes to it not as to stand over it and say, let me see, do I, do I believe this or do I not? I'm not sure which parts I do believe or do, I do not. Saving faith says, if God has spoken, I'm all ears. If he said, what he says is true, then, then I'm listening, right? Speak, Lord, for your servant here. So authority there being key. It's the very words of God that has authority over the heart which has responded to the gospel. Um, what... Um, Trying to think how to ask the next question in a leading way. So, if it is the if it is the authority of God, how then are we to how are then are we to um, feel towards it? I guess it's is the authority of God something that stands and um, I guess what I'm trying to lead to is, is how are our affections then changed towards the Word? Is it something that stands? Um, over and against us, and we, even though we see it as true, do we believe and tremble like the demons? We know it's truth, or do we embrace it? We, we, Ryan, yeah. Yeah, because it's trustworthy and authoritative. You, you trust it like a GPS. Like I, I want that. I desire it to guide me and to lead me in the direction that I know is the path of life and the, my source of what I need. Right. Yeah, for sure. It's that, it's that coming and saying, this is, this is really good. This is not just true, but it is beneficial. It is wonderful. It is that which reveals who God is. The one who I love, the one who saved me, is revealed in this text. So what I'm driving at, though, is that I think, <clears throat> I think we understand, to some extent, the, um, the nature of God's word. It is that authority which we love, which teaches us of who God is truly. And there is nothing apart from God's word which can ever have either the beauty or the authority which it has because it is alone of God. And this is what is sought to be summarized in the first part of this lengthy paragraph in the, in the confession. And the reason why I didn't take us through piece by piece is that in developing a theology of the word of God, it's a very broad study. I mean, by necessity, it encompasses all of which God has said and what, how, all the different ways that God speaks of his own word. And so um, to go through that, as beneficial and as probably good as that would be, I thought maybe um, since the primary element that we're talking about is saving faith, I wouldn't take us on a detour of what is the, the doctrine of God's word, but merely we would see that we're talking about the faith which responds to God's word as it is God's word. So I'll read how that summarizes the, in the first part here, um, and we'll see if we have any, have any questions or concerns or thoughts um, or additions. So in the first half of this paragraph, it says, By this faith, a Christian believes to be true whatever is revealed in the word of God for the authority of God himself. That's how he takes it. It's the authority of God himself. And he also apprehends in it an excellency above all other writings and all things in the world. That is, there's something truly good and beautiful about this writing better than anything else in the world. And what is the effect of that? Well, it bears forth, or the word bears forth the glory of God in his attributes, the excellency of Christ in his nature and offices, and the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit in his workings and operation. So that is to say, 
What primarily does the Bible talk about? It talks about God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit and the things that have been done in history in order to bring a salvation and a full revelation of the Godhead. And what does that then do? It enables the one with faith to cast his soul upon the truth thus believed. And that is, that is kind of the, the paradigm there, isn't it? It's not just truth, it's not just beautiful, and it's not just from God, but it is that which is so compelling that when the person reads it, they are ready and able, enabled to cast their soul wholly upon it as it is, there is nothing better to do. There's nothing I would rather place my whole hope and soul upon than that which is already revealed in God's word as true and beautiful. And so, um, and then this, and the last part here then says, and so is enabled to cast a soul upon the truth thus believed, and also acteth differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding, and these are the three things I want to I camp on for our last few minutes here, right? So the idea is, after casting your soul upon the word of God, as this word would say, um, what, really is, what really is the... Um, the true fruit of faith. When we talk about saving faith, what does it look like? What can we see in it? And this was, this was striking to me when I first um, had it summarized to me this way. Um, turning back to our passage in 1 Thessalonians, I want, I want us to see this part particularly in God's Word. I think it's just abundantly helpful to realize that there's, there's certainly more that we could say but there's, I don't think there's less that we can say about the fruit of faith or the way in which faith manifests itself than these three things. Faith, once it has come, yields three things. There's obedience, there's a trembling, and there's a hope. So God, there's certain things to which God has commanded, and we yield to those things in obedience. There are certain things which God has threatened for sin, and we tremble at those things. And there are things which God has promised, and we hope in those things. And if those three things are present, then we see that the faith really is pure. And this is how I think the Apostle Paul views it. So looking again at that last part of chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians, we see these things laid out. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. That is, how did you receive our message? You did what? First, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's obedience. That's putting away something which is other than God in order to follow truly what is God or who God is. Then what? And to wait for his son from heaven who raised him from the dead, Jesus. Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus. So that's that eager expectation, that hope. There's a waiting, an anticipation of faith. So first you, you left the idols behind you yielded to God in obedience. You are now waiting for his son to return. And what's the third thing? Well, what did Jesus accomplish? Well, he delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, what is that wrath? That wrath is God's threatening of sin, God's just punishment for sin, that which we deserve. And so if you take any one of those three things away, it falls apart. If you do not threaten at what God has threat, if you do not tremble at what God has threatened, why would, you, why would you have any hope or joy in the salvation which God has provided? If you, do not, if you do not turn from idols to obey the true and living God, 
Has, have you really thought of your sin as sinful? Do you really think you need a salvation? And if, if you are not waiting eagerly for Jesus and for his return, what is your hope? What really is the good news then? These three things, I think, are a wonderful summary of what saving faith yields in the life of a believer then. And so, as it's, as it's stated probably better than I could come up with, it says, these, this word, upon this believing, this um, seeing as God's word to be truly of God and submitting to it, casting your soul in it, what does it yield? It yields trembling at the threatenings, embracing the promises of God. Wait, I'm sorry, trem- it yields, um, I, I messed up there. The passage, therefore, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. So, next week we'll try to wrap up Saving Faith, talking about resting and receiving on Christ alone, and how um, also we're to understand the idea of people can profess faith with their mouth, and yet it may not be faith truly in its essence. Any questions before I wrap up with prayer? All right, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would more and more convict us of our sin, that we might yield to obedience. We understand what you have commanded, and oftentimes we think it is, um, either we, we judge it to be um, perhaps less clear in your word than it is, or we think um, maybe we, we need not obey. And yet, truly, if your spirit is in us, to, to obey is not something that we uh, grab ourselves by the ear and, and do, but it is, it is a yielding to that which the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And we ask that more and more we would yield to the Spirit that we would obey. And not out of any, uh, not out of any compulsion, Lord, but because we have truly trembled at the threatenings that you have revealed, and yet, Lord, we have embraced with all hope the promises which you have given And we ask in this you would continue to strengthen our faith together. Thank you for our time and your word in your name. Amen.